Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. There's some big developments from the government and the international break is over. My name is Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson. This is Under the Lights and we're off to Kingsham Corner. back at Kingsden Corner, Saints are back and we've got another guest for ourselves, Matt Mark Stone, welcome back onto the show. Thanks for having me back, big shoes to fill and uh, I've never worn a captain's armband so we'll, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> oh, not, not a problem, if you want to find Matt on Twitter you can find him at SFCDell underscore Ivory and of course that's for the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Now we're going to start with the big news that's just come out about an hour or so ago and that is based on tier, we're going to have fans back in December. What the guidelines seem to be at the moment is 4,000 or 50%, whichever is smaller for tier one. And then it's 2,000 for tier two and none in tier three. So very much dependent on the area that you're in. But well, Matt, that's great news, isn't it? Going to have fans back coming into December. Yeah, so I'll be honest, I was on a bike ride and then I came straight to basically sit down here. So I had no idea that that was a thing. That is that is huge news. And I'm shocked just because the, the way the numbers are going in the United States would not indicate that we would have fans back anytime soon. But that is huge. And it, it means so much, especially I think with, you know, as long as it's happening safely and all that stuff, I think for fans to be able to get back in the stadium and see the way the team is playing, I think it'll be super important. And you guys spoke to Dean Hammond last week or, or last episode, and he kind of shared how important it was to have the fans around for some of those moments that seems to be what he remembers kind of uh, most often and so to have fans around for some of the performances that we've had this season and some of the results would be would be fantastic so uh, congratulations to, to all of you who will get to see football at some point. <laughs> yeah, and of course, it, it does need to go through the, the House of Commons uh, for a vote, but it seems incredibly likely that we're going to be having fans back at outdoor sports. And Callum, for Saints fans especially, they'll want to be getting back to St. Mary's to watch the brilliant football that we've been playing. Yeah, absolutely. And although it's not been confirmed, you would think that the South Coast and Hampshire would be a tier one. We've had a, we've had a lower the lower end of COVID um, positive tests pretty much throughout so you'd think that's 4,000 fans which doesn't sound like a lot but when you when you think about it it's this one-eighth of the stadium um, obviously they'll be spread out socially distanced but I think it will have I think it will have a really big impact and um, and it'll be much different to to watch at home on the on the telly but also um, also within the stadium for those players just to have any noise apart from themselves and the coaching staff is uh, is going to be a big shock and it's, it's not long since we had uh, full stadiums but I think uh, I think everyone's going to be happy just to have a, a small portion of fans back in and for, for Saints fans yeah I mean uh, it's, it's such a shame that we uh, we weren't there to see Saints at home go top of the table no one's uh, been able to say that in the Premier League and, and obviously we're all at home to see that against Newcastle so it's good for us to kind of jump in on the on the crest of a wave as it were and I think actually it could be perfect timing for Saints because just just going into uh, the Christmas period where going to be a lot of games. I think there's not nine games in five weeks, and we've just had nine games in eight weeks, so it's it's, it's very congested. And for the teams that are trying to achieve something maybe above their station, the Saints are at the moment. These are the periods where sometimes you you can start to dither a little bit, and you can see a bit of a dip in form. But this will almost be an injection of, of kind of uh, more momentum and enthusiasm. And it's almost like a 
it's almost like a, a different portion of the season. It's like we've done well for the first first third. Now the fans are coming in, and you kind of rejuvenated, and and and, and it's almost like you could see uh, Arsenal's side sort of restarting again, uh, as opposed to maybe dropping some ground on those teams up in the in, in the Champions League places, which is which is strange to say as it is. But yeah, I think great for fans to be in, great for the country and uh, and great for Saints going forward. And I think what will be a really good improvement is uh, we might be able to watch some football on the television if we're not able to, if we're not going in where the sound is actually synced with the reactions. Here's some genuine cheers rather than the goals being scored and then two <laughs> seconds later, some fans just cheering in the, in the background. Matt, obviously you have a lot of coverage in the States of the Premier League. Uh, have you been given the option to watch without additional noise and just watch it quietly with the commentators or is it on NBC, is it being completely sort of just canned noise as it were? Yes, I'm pretty sure it's just been canned noise. I haven't messed with it at all. I think I only muted one game, but that was not due to the fan noise. That was due to the commentator, who I will not name. He just wouldn't give us any credit. It was really, really annoying, so I just muted him after a while. But I'll, I'll be honest, the, the fake noise has been, has been a little better this time than it was, I think, at the beginning of lockdown. And so I, I won't complain too much. I do wish sometimes they would stop just because I want to hear more of what the players are saying and more of what the uh, you know more more of what Ralph is saying. Uh, but I can also say that some fans, if you watch a lot of MLS, uh, you're used to having four thousand people in the stadium, so this will sound just <laughs> just like normal. Um, and I probably shouldn't uh, throw <laughs> throw stones, but I, I will because the, the Houston Dynamo and my my MLS team routinely get you know almost nobody at the stadium, which is not great. So uh, big empty stadiums or stadiums with only a couple of people in them are. are sound weird and they look weird they look really bad on tv but we'll just have to see how it goes and i think i think fans will just be excited to get back in the stadium you know i think the only decision that clubs have to make now is how they're going to kind of allocate who gets in and who doesn't and you know how many games in a row you get to go to or or you know if it's just kind of kind of cycle through all the season ticket holders so maybe you get into one or two but you know we'll, we'll have to see and i think it's just i think people will just be happy to be able to get in be able to see the team live i think it'll be a big boost for everybody we haven't had fans for well since since project restart and that's what coming that's up to months. eight eight nine months or so now obviously compared to the amount of time that fans have been going to matches compared to the time that we haven't had them do you think it's going to be those first few games are going to be quite strange to have fans back? I mean, it's not something we've, we've come sort of become used to just having the stadium full of those, um, the plasters all over the seats with all of the, uh, with, I don't know, uh, we march on, etc. And just having these sort of blankets over the stadium. Is it going to be weird to actually have some, uh, some proper fans back into the stadium? Or do you uh, think it's going to be thinking this is great. This is back to normal. I don't know. I, I think maybe the, uh, some of the teams that have been playing in European competition will will have you know a little bit more experience with it because certain countries around Europe have allowed sets of fans in, and so they might be able to uh, adjust a little bit quicker. But I think you know when I watch uh, different commentators and you, you follow their social media and stuff, and as they walk, they say this is still so strange, this is still so weird. And I'm sure you know you maybe talk to Adam uh, about it and, and kind of get his take. But I'm not sure that anybody's adjusted to playing in an empty stadium. If that I don't think that feels normal yet, and it, I hope it doesn't ever feel normal. You know. And so maybe this will be more of a return to normal, uh, is my hope. Uh, I hope Saints form stays the way it is. We don't want that to return to normal over the past couple of seasons. I think, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll just keep going as it is and, and just people will be able to appreciate it. Let's talk about Saints' form then, and Matt, because, uh, I mean, it's been talked about a lot, uh, as it often is, when uh, when you're doing so well and as we're where we are in the, in the table. I saw someone say it's, it's 
so nice going into the game knowing that the worst case scenario by the end of the weekend is uh, so you could finish fifth. We're uh, we win and we go you know back into those Champions League places. I mean, we we could wax lyrical as we have been for so long, but. I, want to ask maybe a, a, a different slant on a question what have you what have you learned from Ralph's team in the last month or so that maybe or maybe even stretch into the beginning of this season that maybe we didn't know beforehand because um, they seem to be a, a bit of a relentless machine on this run at the moment and uh, I'm not sure how long we can keep it going but even with the likes of the injuries with Ings and Bertrand and and players that we were missing throughout the team um, that Newcastle display was really impressive. Is there anything in particular in the way that we're playing that you're seeing is is different or is much more um, tightened and, and I don't know what the word for it is, but much much easier, more automatic for the team than it was, was last year? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too caught up in the immediacy of how we've been playing, but I thought the Everton match was a really good example of the team kind of progressing. And I would say that you know, we, we look at the squad and the fact that we couldn't really invest in a lot of players over the past couple of seasons because of the financial uh, impact of some of the players we brought in before and our inability to sell those people on and the inability or the uh, the unwillingness maybe of the owner to, to pump money into the club meant that we were kind of limited. And I think a lot of us looked at the squad and just kind of said, like, you know, that's, uh, you know, a, a lower mid-table squad and that's, that's what it's going to be. So if we can get anything better than 12th or 11th or maybe 10th, then, you know, we'll have done a really good job. And I think the players have improved. Ralph has coached them to, to the point where they've all, they've all, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have improved. And I was always kind of under the impression that, you know, Ralph will work the system and fit players into the system to the point where we will, well, somehow we'll, we'll hit a ceiling at some point and we will need a couple of more players if we want to progress from there. And, and then we had the Everton match, and I kind of went like, well, maybe I was wrong, because what I saw there was not just not just pressing, not just more effort, not just uh, creating chances from, from mistakes that the other team made, but we managed that game, especially in the second half, especially when they went down to 10 men so well that we just made them chase the ball. We never looked like we were in any danger of losing control, and that was something that I hadn't seen from Saints yet. There was like another gear that clicked there, and then... I would say the first half against Aston Villa, the same thing. And I got really, really excited. And then all of a sudden, you know, it kind of all, almost fell apart in the second half of, of, of the Aston Villa game. And, you know, you start to worry because of, uh, of the Ings injury and other things that happened there. Um, and then they come out against Newcastle and just kind of say, like, look, we're, we're still good. Even if we have a setback, even if we're, we're you know, playing walkout through the middle for the first time for the, for the club, the, the system works. And Ralph, Ralph has the players playing at a level that, um, no other manager at Club of Seasons has been able to get out of them. And so um, I, I think I think they're all starting to turn the corner from a team that's just kind of out, out huddle everybody to a team that can play uh, their specific style of football and force other teams to kind of contend with that rather than just be disruptive in terms of their pressing. That makes sense. Yeah, completely. And the, they're turning, as, as you say, Callum, they're sort of turning into this relentless machine. You, you, you go into every game thinking, I'm really excited to see how Saints are going to do. You think, um, especially for Everton, where you're thinking this is going to be a real test. Everton, top of the league, they're playing some fantastic football. They're unbeaten. They are sort of the media darlings at the start of the season. And then Saints, you know, take them apart and it's a really convincing win. You're then thinking, OK, Southampton got a chance to go top against Newcastle 
Newcastle you, they're without Danny Ings now here's the real test can they perform without him you know some people saying oh, I don't think they're going to get um, anything against Newcastle I think they're going to really really struggle here and then they go out and, and put in a performance where they, they could have won that game by four or five goals at the end of it and that, that might have even been kind to Newcastle I mean it's interesting because Matt, both you and I were discussing after the Palace game on the opening day of the season. We were feeling a little bit down. We weren't, uh, we weren't happy with the way it had started. And I said, uh, just, just wait and see. And then they lost to Brentford and then they got hammered by Spurs. And I was thinking, well, OK, this, uh, this needs one, one hell of a turnaround. But to think now, fast forward a couple of months, it's, it's just mad to, to be saying win tonight. Saints can go uh, back into third place and two points off the top with a run of fixtures where with teams at the top playing each other, they could well return to the top of the league. Now, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but... The fact that it's a possibility is just its just utterly ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And if you look at the teams that we've played this season, you know, we, we would have looked at that with some of those fixtures early on and said, oh, that's a pretty good run. But we've played Chelsea third. We've played Everton. They're currently in six. We're top of the table at the time. We played Aston Villa. They're in seven. Uh, we've already played Spurs. So I think uh, of the top of the top seven, the only people we've avoided so far are Liverpool. And, and I mean, so our schedule hasn't been you know, necessarily all that easy and we've kind of proven ourselves uh, and I think we'll have to kind of you know what we'll, to, to keep that going we'll come up against the, the traditional big six I think will be will be a challenge but but yeah I, I can't I, I, I didn't see this happening after the, the, the kind of opening couple of weeks but I mean we came in on such a high from from Project Restart that you know it just seemed like we just didn't quite we weren't quite up to speed when, 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 when it all went, when this season kicked off. Oh, sorry about that. And as soon as we did that, as soon as everything caught up, or they just run where we said, you know, good luck, good luck keeping up with us. And when they get, you know, when they make mistakes, we're going to, we're going to punish them and, and leave themselves open when, uh, when, when we are out in front. So that's, I think that's a big, uh, that's going to be big for us going forward. So I'm excited to watch the team. And I think maybe, maybe I did lose a little bit of, I wouldn't say enthusiasm, maybe a little bit of confidence early on. Um, Spurs, but uh, after that, it's all been good from there. As you, as you both mentioned, I mean, Tom, you said Everton were the kind of media darlings early on, and, and Spurs have had their plaudits with the way they're playing under under Mourinho and with Kane and Son, and of course Aston Villa with the, the likes of Grealish and and how they've surprised everyone else. But Southampton are doing are doing better than the likes of Everton and Aston Villa, but they still seem to be going under the radar a little bit, which. Will only play into the hands of of the club. A with with Hassan on the way that he'll want his team to be going about their business. No 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 frills. No one bigging them up too much. Going under the radar, continuing to to get these points and get these wins against those those teams that have maybe got the spotlight. But also from a Saints fans perspective, you don't. We're so used to uh, playing good football and the manager goes or, or player starts playing well and player goes. One of those players that has gone under the radar over uh, over his tenure with the club but is a, a real favourite amongst a lot of Southampton fans is uh, is Oriol Romeo and he's just signed uh, a new contract. How important uh, a move is that for the club? I think early on in his, his time, I think he won a player of the season at one point, uh, maybe his fans player of the season, and I was a big fan of him, but I know that some people thought he was too slow on the ball, and when he was first introduced to kind of Hasenhutl's style, he was not good at, at distributing it, uh, distributing the ball fast enough, quickly enough, and I think the turnaround that he's made this season under Hasenhutl in the absence of of Hoiberg was has tremendous. I think he's been um, there's there's no no reason to 
bring in anybody else into that center midfield spot right now. And I think that he's going to be extremely important if he continues to play like this. And having signed him to a, a longer-term deal or contract extension, just assuring him for a couple more years, I think that will allow him to continue to play his role. He is getting you know a little bit older, but he can once again kind of pass that knowledge on to the likes of Diallo or Smallbone or whoever else is going to come in and come out of the academy and eventually fill that spot, hopefully. And so I think that, that that's important for the, you know, in a team with a lot of young players, that's a, that's an important role for, for him to play. And you look around Bertrand, Walcott, Romeo probably will we'll kind of fill those roles and bring those guys along. And I, I can't uh, I can't see this being anything but positive for, for the club. I did put out a, a stat that people couldn't quite believe. Was I think he's got 51 yellow cards in the Premier League, never been sent off for Saints. He's sort of... But it, it, there was there was an article, I think... I, I don't want to credit the wrong people, but, uh, but it was saying how Saints sort of have this system where if someone will... They'll, they'll pick a player on the opposition team and that's the person to rile up. And as soon as you... They'll set a particular person to go and rile them up. And as soon as you get a yellow card, it then switches to another player. And it does seem at the moment that Oriol Romeo is the one to sort of be the first... In the first instance, be the one to start riling them up and certainly run the number of yellows that he picks up. But he does score the very occasional wonder goal, as we saw against West Brom. I, I say very occasional. I think that's probably the only wonder goal that he scored. Anyway... Really good news for the club. Great for him to be now extended two and a half years. And for, he's been incredibly committed. And under Puel, he was probably our player of the season. I think he was. And he was so instrumental in that side and played, I think, in his... I think that's probably the best position that he's been in in terms of his time at the club because he was the sole defensive mid. He was sort of at the base of the diamond. And he sort of had that freedom to just pretty much be... The, the protector in front of the back four and whilst we played incredibly negative football it was very effective because Romeo was just played in his best position and now under Halsen Hootl he's sort of been give, gifted an extra extra life as he were because he uh, especially with Hoybier departing um, so it's been brilliant to see now on the issue of contracts there was an interesting quote that I picked up from from Ralph and this is regarding the unsigned ones that haven't been uh, confirmed yet but the likes of Ings and Bertrand we've heard in the news how they're going to sign new deals and I mean everything with Saints at the moment is completely rosy and uh, there's not, nothing to be sad about but it, I, I don't know if concern is the right word but especially with his comment about Ings and Bertrand as the the train is leaving what do you take on that because we've seen what he did with Hoybier and with uh, with Ings and Bertrand they're a bit uh, they're a bit more key to our side yeah, you, you read too much into everything else he said about things being out injured and, and things like that because he has said he's, he's constantly gone back to last Christmas uh, with the game against Chelsea. I think it was Boxing Day, maybe, where we went away, knowing the side got a win. He'll look back at Newcastle and say, "Look, we did it there too." And I want to go like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like this is super important. Um, but Ralph Ralph's belief is that this is bigger than this is bigger than one player. But that said, I do worry a little bit about about replacing those guys. If you look down the list of, of left packs, we had Jack Stevens out there the other day, and that's if, if Bertrand doesn't sign a new contract, we saw what happened to Hoiberg last year, which is kind of he just disappeared and was gone, and that was it. And if that happens to Bertrand, I don't want to see our kind of our, our left side just just stop attacking and have Kyle Walker Peters to get on the right. And so I am. Um, it could be an issue, but it's going to be up to Ralph to kind of see how he, can he, you know, I guess prove to them that, that they will benefit from staying. Bertrand, probably 
this, this should probably be his last contract at a big club. I just tend to agree with what you said about Bertrand. For, for me, I, I think it will happen. I think it's probably just with agents and everything else, these things tend to take a little bit longer. When you, Whenever you speak to a player, they usually don't really know too much about what's happening. They'll say, oh, my agent's dealing with that. Um, and, and I think the negotiations are just going on. And, and Southampton don't give things away for free. We know that. So... Um, they're well run, and and I'm sure that will will work out. I don't see Bertrand getting a transfer to a better club or to be in a better position than he is with Saints at the moment. The way things are going, Arsenal, the way he plays, really really suits Bertrand. You think he's settled down here, and you're probably getting the best out of Bertrand that you're going to get at any other club. So I think that will happen for him. I mean, he's I'm not sure how old Bertrand is now, but he's he's. The other side of 30, is he? And then you've got Danny Ings, who's, again, I think, I mean, he's at the top of his game. So there is a chance that if if a big team is interested, he might be interested in going. However, I don't think Danny Ings is, is going to be pushing for a move. And right now, I think, A, you know, he's a local lad, Southampton fan, and he's really enjoying his football. The club have looked after him when he was had been injured for so long and was stuck at Liverpool and his career had really flattened out. He's resurrected uh, under the Saints, and and I think he doesn't owe the club anything because he's he's paid the club back by keeping us up in, in, in seasons and, and playing so well. I just feel like he's he's happy doing what he's doing, and I think with with how the club are going at the moment, I feel like there's unfinished business. But like you say, he's doing all this and he's still not odds on for the England squad. He wants to go to these competitions. And if he doesn't he doesn't get selected for that, then he might be looking at other options, um, which is the way things are, unfortunately, with uh, with the international squad. But with, with Danny Ings, you know, he, he is at an age where he's at his peak and he's, he's going to want to be playing at the top level. But I think you'll, you'll see how Saints get on this season and that might, that might affect how things go. But with Hassanus, so he's certainly not afraid, as you said, to say no no player is bigger than a club. On the back of that, Callum, I'm just going to po- po- pose a question to, to you, Matt. Is Would you say that Saints have to qualify for European competition this season for Danny Ings to stay? That's tough. I think it would definitely help. But I, I don't think it's a... I think Ings is one thankful that Saints were willing to give him another chance based on the injuries and kind of how his career had kind of stalled at Liverpool. And he was clearly, you know, well-liked but not going to be given uh, a, a real chance to, to shine there. So he's got that. He seems to have, but if he is, you know, he got into the England squad. And if he's asking around, how do I how do I stay here? And you know he's done he's done all things for us in in terms of scoring goals and, and doing the running and, and you know uh, doing the defensive work and off the ball work and, and holding the ball up at times and running the channels he's done he's done he, you can't look at his game and say oh well you know there's something you're not doing that that Gareth Southgate would be looking for and if Southgate wants him to just play for a different club then that's I mean that's ridiculous and that's not great management but if somehow Ings gets it in his head that that's what has to happen that that could be something that could drive him towards uh, another club. But I, I do think that it, it tends to be what happens is player plays well, media picks it up, and then the rumors start. So I think hopefully, I mean, it is true or it could be true that, that Ings just wants, you know, he said, look, like I'm doing all of these things and so you're going to have to pay me. You have to pay me the appropriate amount of money. And, and that may be where the holdup is. And, you know, Saints may be willing to, to, to play it uh, pretty tough and, and like, like we said, if the train is leaving the station and Ralph's in charge, then the train will leave people on the platform without 
any hesitation. And you can't really change that approach for a player, even as good as Ings has been. I think Hassan Hoodle's approach is that, that players are replaceable. And we see that backfire sometimes with managers. We see relationships kind of go sour uh, from time to time. But I think Ralph has earned our trust at this point. And for me, at least, I'm going to be willing to give it to him. And it would really suck to, to have... Ings not be a, a part of this team because he's been so fun to watch and he has been the talisman. But if that's the case, then I, I think I have to put my trust in Ralph and, and just believe that he's doing the right thing for the club and, and for us. I, I absolutely agree with that because I think that whilst we wouldn't want to lose Ings and it would be difficult to replace him, the the turnaround under Ralph has been absolutely sensational. And if anyone has earned the trust of the fans over the past 12 months or so, it is going to be that man. Now, current time, we're under 20 minutes away from team news being announced because of course uh, we're recording with uh, Southampton about to play against Wolves this evening let's talk a, bit, a little bit about that game so there's been a bit of for certainly Wolves it's been a, a, an international break that's been a bit stagnated they have a, like Saints losing Armstrong Wolves have possibly Connor Cody not fit because he may be available, he may not, but obviously he had to self-isolate after being uh, near someone who contracted COVID-19. So he's only his return to training has maybe been only a few days ago, and we don't know whether he's actually going to be part of the lineup. We'll see. But Wolves last night, um, the Telegraph did say that they are missing a, uh, a first-team player who has tested positive after coming back from international duty. No idea as to who it is, and of course that's up to Wolves to, to say, and it will be uh, obvious who it is from the team news. A couple of rumours on Wolves forums, they think it might be Saiz, which may not be that much of a loss for them because he's been on the bench. But Wolves away is a tricky game, despite Saints getting that point last season. And then they followed that up with the, uh, with the monstrosity against Leicester. This time around, how are you feeling about the game? What do you, uh, what do you expect? What would you be pleased with? What would you be like, eh, I'll take that. I'd be really pleased if we, if we managed. I mean, obviously, if we got a win, that would be great. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be pleased with the point. I think if you look at Wolves and their their kind of goal difference, they're kind of, I think, either plus one or minus one. They're just kind of right around even. So other than the West Ham game, I think, where they conceded four, they've been pretty consistent defensively and haven't kept a, a ton of clean sheets, but but I think will be difficult to break down defensively. So we're going to have to kind of, especially with no wings in the squad, we're going to have to kind of work pretty hard to, to make that happen. They haven't been as exciting going forward. And in recent years, you know, they were just a lot of fun to watch. And they were one of the teams that I would say on if I had a free Saturday morning, you know, maybe Saints were playing against a team that was in Europe. So we we're going to play on Sunday or whatever. Watching the Wolves game was almost guaranteed action. And this season, it hasn't really been that way. And I say that as somebody who owns uh, two Wolves attackers in my, in my fantasy team. So that's been a little bit disappointing. I do worry about certain players in their team. I'm glad, uh, obviously, uh, Jada is gone. But I do worry about Adama Traore coming off the bench and causing us trouble. And so I think that's the scariest sight we can see today is if they are oiling him up on the sidelines, that'll be a problem for us. And I just I, I just worry. But I, I do also feel confident enough in our team that Wolves don't, I wouldn't say they look frail or fragile, but once again, Hassan Total isn't scared. And I don't think our players are scared of going into almost going into battle and saying, let's see what you have here. But, but you know, you're going to have to beat us. And we're going to go there. And we're going to play the same system we, we play. They're going to, they're probably going to set up three, uh, you know, uh, three four three or three four two one or however they want to do it. And it'll it'll be a good game of football, hopefully. And and I think that'll be, that'll be great. If we get a win, uh, that'd be fantastic. But uh, I'd be happy with a point. I'd probably be most happy if we if we won one nil or two nil and kept a clean sheet. 
but uh, I think that'll be a tough task. I think it's probably going to be 1-1. Um, I don't see us really scoring three goals or anything like that, so maybe 2-2, two -two, but um, I'd be happy with kind of either one of those. Yeah, and it would be, I think I'm, a, I'm of the same where It's strange with Saints because I'm, I'm going in there thinking, okay, a point will be a good, a good result from the game, but I'm also having that inkling feeling like we're playing pretty bloody well at the moment, and it wouldn't surprise me if... You know, we, we took the game to them and then got a convincing victory. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We, as Saints fans, we've we, we got to pinch ourselves at the moment. We're currently in and around the, the top four and the win today will take us to third. It's just, it, it's really strange. Callum, how are you, how are you feeling about the game? Well, not going into it in, in too much detail because by the time this comes out, we'll be talking, we'll be predicting a game that's already happened. But what you do get from Wolves is something, well, you could probably take Project Restart into account as well. Maybe the last... 20 games, 15, 20 games, Southampton have, have kind of emulated what Wolves have been doing for the last two two seasons. Um, and there's a long way to go, but they're, I think they are what we're aiming for. Um, and what Wolves managed to do is get results. They have a system. Players fit into that system and that philosophy under, under Nuno Espirito Santo. Um, the same happening with, with Harsen Hurtle, different systems. But he, he puts players in there. And sometimes he puts... Uh, square pegs in round holes. You know, you saw, we've seen Saiz, who's been centre midfield and he's been back at centre back, he's been playing on uh, left wing back. Um, what Southampton do have is an opportunity uh, against a side who is missing a lot of key players. And um, if there's one player you want Wolves to be without, in my opinion, it's Connor Cody. He, there's rumours that that might be the case for the first time in a very long time. So, you know, I can see there being goals because uh, of Wolves' frail defence. I think they might have to go for it a little bit. But, yeah, without, without predicting things, I mean, how Ralph Hassan has, has said just this week in the media that we have a way of playing and we'll play that way against everyone. And it's up to them to figure out a way to stop us. And if they do, then we've got a plan B and a plan C and we can change within a, within a game. So we, we know what to expect from Southampton tonight and it's uh, it's been fine tuned and it's been working recently. So um, I think two two teams that are really well run, two clubs that are well run, coming against each other tonight. So I don't think you'll see anyone giving away the points. But I think Saints got to start as favourites with the injury news that we're uh, we're sort of hearing. Yeah, and I think that again, I'm getting that feeling that we're gonna. Not surprise people because you say that we should be favourites, but I'm also getting the feeling that I think we are going to win. But obviously, this is a game that is happening in just over an hour or so. We don't want to delve into it too much because otherwise it's, this episode will be pretty out of date. But uh, follow, following that, okay, I mean, just briefly, we got games against Man United followed by Brighton and Sheffield United. I mean, these next four games could really put Saints in good stead for going into Christmas, the Christmas period, almost similar to that first year under Kuman, where I think we currently need to get 10 points out of our next four games to just match what Kuman did uh, in the start of that season. And uh, obviously, when you look back at the fixtures we had then, it was a, quite an easy run up to Christmas. Let's, let's not lie. And then we had all of the big boys at uh, all in one go. Matt, what, of, those, of, the, of, of those next three, is there a particular game that stands out for you as like a, a real test? Obviously, Sorry. Manchester United. But, uh, yeah. but I'm almost at the feeling that United are, 
are really there for the taking and it might be maybe the Brighton or Sheffield United games that we could come up a cropper as it were yeah I think the the you know, I think the natural thing is when you're when you're flying that high, you see many that you always assume they're going to be. Uh, you almost build them up to be something that they're not at this point, um, and they do have the the only difference is is they have weapons that are are proven to have worked at one point in time. You know, um, they have a, a lot of individual quality that can shine through, even if they don't play very well. But they don't look very good. Um, I think even Carl Anker would that they they look bad and you know i didn't want i don't watch them that's another team i don't i won't watch them because it's just not fun to to it's not enjoyable but when you come up against a team like brighton i think maybe uh, as dean hammond mentioned maybe there's a little bit of, of animosity not a ton but maybe that's enough to get us over the hump there and they've they have frustrated us at times the last couple of seasons uh so i think i guess the the one that would be most likely to happen would be sheffield united they can't seem to keep sheet to save their life or, or or win any any football games but i think saying that maybe they kept a nil nil clean sheet yesterday i don't really remember i just know that they didn't they didn't win uh, so maybe maybe that's the the bogey team if if there is one because i think we can build ourselves up for the other two and then you know maybe have a little bit of a letdown against sheffield united but with basically a week in between every game and and the way ralph has been able to motivate the players which is a big part of his job uh, I don't really have any fear of that. I think we'll come and play and show up. You know, I would say over the past couple of game weeks, we've been pretty consistent, uh, save maybe the second half against Aston Villa, where I think we maybe just took our foot off the gas. But I think Ralph will, especially with just one game a week right now, just keep pressing forward. And then once we get into Arsenal, City, Fulham, uh, right around the holiday period, I think maybe that's... Maybe that's a little bit more of a test. There's one thing I really wanted to, well, sort of, well, a congratulations, as it were. You've recently hit 200 episodes. We're on, uh, I mean, from podcast to podcast, we're only on 32. 200 seems like quite the landmark. That is, uh, how do you feel? I mean, it's gone, it, you've been doing this for quite some time. How does it feel to get to that, uh, sort of the big two zero zero? It means a lot because it's, for me, it's been 200 straight weeks of doing the show, and it's kind of the one thing that I, it's my one real hobby that I sit down and do every week, and there have been changes to the show, there have been things that have gone wrong from week to week, you would think after 200 episodes, everything would kind of just go smoothly, um, and it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, earlier today, I went to go open my Adobe Audition, which is the, what the, the program that I use, I was going to record the intro and get it all set up because we're not going to record until later tonight and I have to turn around and get it out pretty fast and my Adobe Audition has expired. So unless I want to spend a ton of money right now, uh, I have to figure out some other way to do it, which uh, we'll find on Tuesday morning if 201 comes out or 200 is it. So, um, <laughs> But no, it, it's really, I should just say thank you to everybody who's, who's helped. I mean, Tom, you're one of the, the patrons of the show. So, you know, that is kind of what your your money goes towards is to help for, for things like that. But really, the, the whole thing has been great and when I look back at the number of, of people that I've had the chance to speak to um, the number of friends that I uh, friendships I say that, I, that I've made over the time and then the number of things I've learned about about football life and in England that I, I was unaware of I think has been great and so it, it does feel good uh, it doesn't at all feel like we're done I'm pretty bad about celebrating things like that you know I think about it for a couple of minutes and then it's kind of okay let, let's keep going um, which my family really hates because you know we hike to the top of something it's like okay take a picture you know there's another one over there let's keep going and so that's just how i kind of get through my life but yeah it, it was nice to kind of take a second and just say like you know this is a lot of work there's a lot of hours in there uh, you know what it's like to edit and, and plan and, and 
coordinate and there are things about the show that I absolutely you know, hate doing and that but they're far outweighed by the benefits of being able to, to sit and have a conversation uh, with people and learn uh, about them and, and so yeah so I'd say thank you to you because you've both been on the show um, individually for your time and it means a lot that people are willing to come on and talk to some dude in California talking about a team in England that you know he almost has no business uh, you know starting a podcast about so it really does mean a lot to me. <laughs> it's a really enjoyable podcast to come on and of course you were our first guest on this podcast so thank you very much for joining us as well now you speak about You've talked to many Saints fans. You've talked to many different people on the show. Is there, I mean, it's difficult to pick off the top of your head from a list of 200, but is there any particular episode that stands out for you? Oh, man. So I think having, I mean, the, the interviews are always uh, kind of exciting to do. So getting the Anthony Amy interview, I did say in episode 200, that's one that if I could do it over, I'd probably do it over because I think I could do a better job. But honestly, uh, talking to Carl, uh, Carl is is one of my favorite people I've ever had on the show. Nothing against you two or anybody else. It's just there was just something about it that just made me laugh constantly. And and sometimes there are episodes where I feel like I laugh too much, and the message gets lost. And then I would also say that uh, I really enjoyed having having Lucy on. And then probably my all time favorite is one of the only ones we've ever gotten to do live, which is uh, the one I think it was episode sixty six or so. It was it was the one I did live with Freddie and. Uh, from the ugly inside at the crown and cushion we, that's the name of the bar that was in london and and that was just a, a, a real great experience because i got to see some of the people that i had talked to in the past and i got to actually kind of experience a match day albeit not a good one and so those those ones kind of stand out as like that's that's what i would like to be able to do you know more often and actually wolves match last year where we kind of melted down in the second half i got to do that one sitting across the table from somebody from from mike that does um match day vlogs and so sitting across the table from him because he was in california it just you know I, it, that was fantastic that doesn't happen to me very often it's usually a zoom i've been doing internet calling before it was cool you know um and so it, it is kind of nice to be able to sit down and, and just see somebody's face and talk about the match uh, but i will say i'm much more comfortable sitting here on a zoom call than i am uh, interviewing somebody face to face so uh, i gotta work on that part i guess so i had a little idea that i wanted to to do uh, on this podcast um, and with yourself and that the three of us could just wanted to go through the the kind of starting lineup if you would for the current Saints side who are riding high and go through each position and debate or easily agree and move on to the next one as to whether or not we have a player that you consider to be you know, our number one goalkeeper is Alex McCarthy you know would you consider that he would be in the top five and 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 if 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 you don't then um, if we if we disagree on on one, maybe to um, strengthen your your point, maybe name five that that were better. Does that make, kind of make sense? I am. Yeah, I think that I am. Maybe I'm a one trick pony, so I may be exposed a little bit here, but I'm because uh, I may not be able to name players from the big teams. <laughs> so let's let's start with let's start with the the goalkeeper then. So Alex McCarthy, not long really, the number one sort of. Came into his own during the project restart. I think was fighting with Angus Gunn and was behind him in the pecking order until sort of this time a year ago. I, I personally don't think he's he's in the top five. I don't think too many people uh, would. How, how do you guys see see this one? I think it's pretty cut and dry position on the pitch. He's definitely our number one. I don't think he's top five in the league just because I, his his distribution isn't good enough. 
I think if you could pass the ball a little bit better, that would be, then I'd, I'd definitely have him up there. But uh, shot stopping, great. Coming for crosses, okay. Uh, but not not really a leader, not super commanding, and doesn't pass the ball well enough for me to, to make top five. That's that's my take on it. Tom, can you name off the top of your head pretty quickly five goalkeepers better than Alex McCarthy in the Premier League? Well, I would go for Edison, Allison, Lloris. I'd maybe, maybe even say Mendy from Chelsea, although we haven't seen a lot of him. And, uh, well... Nick Pope. There we go. Right. There we go. On to uh, let's start with let's let's start with let's start with right back from the uh, from the outfield positions then because Carl Walker Peters is a player that is very popular amongst Saints fans. We see a lot of people on Twitter um, and often see uh, a lot of people putting things up saying that he's he is better than such and such one of the bigger names in, in his position in the league. Matt. Cole Walker-Peters has, has been with Saints for coming up to a year. He does improve with every game. There are weaknesses in, in his game. Is he currently top five Premier League right-back? And just as a caveat, if he isn't, do you think he will be? I Honestly, I'd put him up there right now. And that's... this is I, I tend to downplay our squad a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I never like to argue with people if somebody says, oh, you know, my friend's an Arsenal fan. He's like, oh, our... Are this are such and such is better than your such and such? I would just I'd rather just go like yeah yeah, yeah. like you're right you're right I get it like because I don't want to argue but I think I would put Kyle Walker Peters up there uh, in top five and it's close he's not number one but if you look I think if you look at the job he's done some of the passes he's played the role he plays in our attack you know and he still probably has had more defensive headers at the back post than Cedric did and he hasn't been here as long so I think I'll I'll, I'll take him I'll take him as in the, in the top five yeah I'd have to agree with that in current form he is. He's, he's absolutely fantastic and uh, long may it continue. I mean, we were talking in the summer about where whether Walker-Peters would be adequate as a player to sign uh, at right back. Well, he's certainly uh, certainly shown that he was, Callum. Well, if, if I play devil's advocate, I mean, he's right now England are blessed with right backs and the top three right backs in, in Southgate's squad are Trent, Alexander-Arnold, Carl Walker, um, and Reese James, who I think you'd have to say those three currently are ahead of him in, in the progression. Reese James, the newer of those three, but certainly, you know, to remove Aspilicueta from from Chelsea's uh, right back slot is it takes some doing. So if we put them as sort of a top three, then you've got the next the next kind of list where you're looking at players like Matt Doherty, who I rate really highly. Just moved to Spurs. You can look at Hector Bellerin, Tariq Lamptey, who's a really interesting one coming up at. At Brighton and 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 Aaron Wambasaka in 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 a who's kind of in a different mould. He, he's he's defensively the best right back in the league, in my opinion. So I might argue that Walker Peters hasn't had. You say the same for Lamptey, but I don't think Walker Peters has had enough Premier League games and shown on a consistent basis yet. But I think. In a year's time, you could ask me the same question. We could be having a different discussion. I still think he, in, in terms of, uh, I think I still think what I want to see from Walker Peters is defensively. I want to see him improving in his concentration because I do find sometimes he switches off, especially in that Spurs game where Son was in behind him constantly. I think defensively, I think one on one he's great. I think just sometimes I'd like him to to be switched on. And what we also do do know from his time at Tottenham is he's got a wicked cross. So if he can get on that overlap more and get those balls in for, for the likes of Ings, he could become a real asset for us. 
going forward. On the other side is Ryan Bertrand. We've already discussed him. And actually, we've discussed, strangely enough, as to whether or not he would get a move to, to a big side, which we didn't, don't think he would. Does that mean he's not in the top five left-backs in the league? I mean, if we ran through some off the top of our head, I don't think many of the big sides have got a big left-back. I mean, Andrew Robertson is probably the top in the league. I think then you're struggling with... Regulon's not been here long. Man City don't really have... a a top left back they're kind of always changing around Arsenal the same Tierney hasn't really done it off the, off the bigger side you, you're struggling Luke Shaw at Manchester United and Tellez who's not been there long so due, due to process of elimination when you look at the big sides is Bertrand up there? Yeah I think he absolutely is he's got I think when we're talking about would he get to would he get a move to a, a, one of the big sides I think it's more the case of is a side willing to part with the amount of money for someone who is currently at the age that he is i mean he's past he's past 30 you're not going to get many more years out of him when he's at the top of it's sort of the top of his game but yeah i think the uh the premier league is really quite bereft of decent left backs i think it's quite a niche position at the moment to uh to get some real world-class quality in and obviously robertson is head and shoulders to the head of the pack as it were but i think i i would rate bertrand as definitely i mean even and then you speak thinking our uh, lower tier, the next level. You're thinking maybe maybe Chilwell, and yeah, he got that really. Lucadinia, Lucadinia, I'd say yeah. is up there. But it's it is kind of limited. So I yeah, I, I definitely have Butchin in the top five, and that's not me just going from Saints bias. Always the Saints fan. He's putting Butchin. He, he's genuinely, you know, he's got great experience. And uh, Matt, I don't know if you concur with that or or if you're of a different opinion. Well, I think initially, I I didn't, and I was trying to but then trying to go through my head and, and say well who would i you know who would i start ahead of him and it kind of andy robertson for sure and then the rest of it it's kind of like no i i know what i get with bertrand and i i think i think once again the little bit of leadership that he has uh, the armband didn't fit him for whatever reason but he is playing well in the system he maybe dipped a little bit uh, i'd say beginning of last year maybe the end of the year before but um i think he's he's playing wonderfully so i know I'll, I'll i'll leave him up there and yeah, I think it's hard to it's hard to name more than maybe three left backs that that are, that are better than them. The, the three that we've mentioned there. Let's let's group the centre backs then. I mean, the first question is who is Southampton's best centre back in your opinion? Because I think if you'd asked this question at the beginning of the season, you might you might have a completely different answer. Yeah, yeah. Coming into the season, I would have said it was Benarak for sure, and it was going to be who's going to play next to him. And right now, I think it's it's Vestergaard. I think his, the, the club's record in terms of goals scored or conceded, I should say, uh, with him in there is much better. His passing has got his on-the-ball play has been so good this season. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of the big switch that he can put out to the right side, and I'm a big also a big fan of watching him kind of thread passes into the midfield and into the feet of, of even Che Adams or, or other forwards who are uh, kind of holding up the ball. So... Uh, I'd say it's Vestergaard is is the number one right now, but I'm not sure. I think the problem is that that fluctuates so much with Saints, and Vestergaard obviously has a glaring lack of pace uh, that could really prevent him from being the top top center back. And over the summer, you know, I think we we're all kind of hoping he was going to go because it was like I can't, we can't wait for somebody to take this guy off our hands and pay us any money for him because we didn't like him. And um, you know, we've all changed our tune a little bit here now. Tom, are we are we are we honestly? having a serious discussion about whether Yannick Vestergaard is is a 
top five Premier League centre back. It, it, it seems absolute madness from like Tom, like uh, like Matt said from where we were, kind of hoping that that a side would take him off our hands. I mean, there are good centre backs in the Premier League, and for me, Vestergaard hasn't done it long enough to be above those. But it's it's testament that we're even having this discussion, and that we even rate him as the highest rated Saints centre back. Yeah, I mean, when we're trying to decide who's the the best Saints centre back, we were told in the summer, and what we heard was that the best centre back currently at the club is someone that we don't even know if they exist at the moment, and we're yet to see any <laughs> any any sign of uh, Salisu. But Vestergaard, he's been brilliant. The turnaround is really quite extraordinary. Really, I mean, he's, he's always seems to be caught flat-footed, and yes, he does l- lack that yard of pace. But his reading of the game has improved so much, and I think that. No, he's not one of the. He's not a top five centre back in the league because I agree with you, Callum. I think he's got to do it for a prolonged period rather than just a purple patch of eight, seven, eight games or so. But I do feel that there are better defenders out there in the league. I mean, you just have to look at the the big six reeling off. Somebody you got, uh, you got Lepore, uh, I'd, or I'd say that probably Ruben Diaz as well, Nathan Ake, and that's just going from Manchester City. So. Yeah, I'd, but that's not putting him down. He's been sensational so far. But as has been the case, as you said, with the, with the centre-backs, it seems to uh, fluctuate between who's in decent form. I mean, at the, towards the end of last season, Jack Stevens was said to be having be in the form of his life. And now he's been sort of grafted in as the, uh, the, uh, the left-back replacement for, for Bertrand against Newcastle and can't really get, um, get any first-team minutes at the moment. I think... If we we've got three positions left, so we'll say no to Vestergaard for now. But I really do like what came from him this season. Um, if we group the wingers together, the central midfielders together, and the strikers, so we go for three more. Let's start with the wingers because I want to leave the uh, two golden boys kind of to the end because I think that's where we have some serious discussion in terms of wide midfielders. I think I think right now you've got to be looking at Stuart Armstrong as. as is our most consistent player in that position. On, on, he seems to have that spot nailed down, whereas on the left side, you've got the likes of, of Gineppo, um, Redmond, sort of far, vying for that position. Would you would you concur, Matt, that Armstrong is, is, our, is our most valuable wide midfield asset at the moment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Walcott did come in and play really well uh, on that side, I, I thought, when he, when he had a chance. But I think Armstrong is, the, is, is probably coming in ahead of Gineppo or... Or Redmond on the team sheet. I don't know if you guys saw since we've been talking. Redmond's not even included in the, the match day squad this this week, um, oh. so that is a little bit shocking. But it's it, it kind of proves your point that that Armstrong is, is has kind of nailed that spot down. He's been fantastic for us. I think you know one of the things that that's one of those things where he's really good, but he's not maybe the most exciting pick. You know, I, um, if if they were doing this on on. Uh, I won't name radio stations that aren't good, but if they were doing it on one of those, the, he he wouldn't even get a look in because he's not he's not flamboyant enough, he's not exciting enough for to make that happen. But I think on current form, if you go from this season especially, or depending on who the manager is, I don't know if we're going to do the manager decide. Uh, I think Hassan will definitely top five. But if if we're playing this style, yes. If if you are looking for something a little bit different, then then maybe not. Maybe if it's a four three three, he doesn't quite fit. But I think in the system that we play or a 4 2 3, 1. I think there's a definite argument to, to be made for him to be near that depending on whether or not you're going for you know long-term history or uh, you know just just uh, kind of recent 
recent form, I guess. It's yeah, a good okay. point, isn't it, Tom? Because in he, there's a really specialist position that Armstrong plays and not many teams play it. So he'll be up against the likes of your Manes or your kind of Grealish, Sterling type players just off the top of my head and, and in, a, in a 4-3-3. And it's, it's really difficult to, to kind of make a case, I think, for any Southampton winger or wide midfielder right now that you'd play ahead of those types of players. You know, Son Heung-min is another one that you'd play up in those positions right now. And even if you came down out of that six area and you're looking at Richarlison and, and Rodriguez at, at Everton, there, there are quite a few players, Zahars, all of those. So I think I, I think it's, it's a, an obvious no at the moment for, for Southampton wide men. I think they do an industrial job in this system and they don't really play wide. They play quite narrow, so it's difficult to, to compare them uh, in that attacking role that you have in a 4-3-3. But I think for, for definitely they, they do the job. Uh, would you add anything to that and and also you you have reminded me yeah we'll we'll go with managers at the end as well yeah uh, not necessarily necessarily anything to add it's more agreement with what Matt was saying is that Stuart Armstrong is in brilliant form and he's a real asset to us but I think it's only because he's a real asset to this particular formation style of play I think as Matt says if you take him and put him into one of the uh, the big like the top six sides and you, they, he plays in a different formation in a different role then. You know, he, he, he. I mean, he could prove me wrong and be be fantastic, but I think that he's just so suited to this style of play that it may that any other style um, may be tricky to get to the level that he currently is under Ralph. So, yeah, as an individual player, take him out of the side and you just pop him on pop him on the side and you say, right, how does he rank against the players in the like the top five players in his position? No, not a chance of getting into those, but. In his particular formation, playing his particular role, he is in an indispensable member of the Southampton First Eleven. Right, let's move this on then to central midfield. We're, we're talking esteemed company of uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes, um, those those types of attacking threats. Um, it's difficult, you know. You've then got your likes of N'Golo Kante in a, in, a, in a, a different type of role. Yeah, if we were going to do this for longer, we'd maybe do a CDM one and 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 a, and a more of an attacking one, but not amongst those names because I don't think any of us are comparing him to to Kevin De Bruyne. But does can he sneak in to a top five now, or or maybe even by the end of the season, Matt? I think to really make the argument, not that I want, not that getting selected for England is the the end all be all, but he struggles to get into that midfield and. Then if you think about the number of other central midfielders in the Premier League who are not English and kind of where he seems to fall in the pecking order, I think it would be more of a no. But I also think that he has added so much to his game that he does really have the chance to, to establish himself there. And we might be getting to the point where it's one of those things, you know, Letizia never really got the shot because he played for Southampton. And so... Could this be the? Could that be what holds Ward Prowse back? As well, he's only ever done it there. He doesn't play for one of the other uh, the other clubs. But I think if you look, I think there would be a lot of managers willing to take him and put them in their squad because of the the work that he does, both from set pieces and from open play, from breaking up play. And you know, maybe he could do a little bit better. You know, kind of through balls and things like that. But he he is he's grown so much, and I think he will continue to grow. So I would say not right now. Uh, that's a 
super packed position in terms of just the elite players that are uh, he would be competing with. But going forward, he could definitely force them to, to be better and maybe knock on the door a little bit. But unfortunately, I want to say yes, but I just don't think I can do it in, in good faith. I think that's something, I mean, I put myself in maybe a similar position where I think he's definitely sort of knocking on the door, as it were. But the Premier League, I mean, we say that it's bereft of quality left backs, but in terms of fantastic central midfielders the Premier League has got so many of them to choose from I think Ward Prowse again it's like with Armstrong he's indisp- indispensable to 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 us and the role that he plays is brilliant and he really brings out the best in everyone around him as well but it he has to be played in a certain position played in a certain style because for Saints we always the, the debate has always been what is Ward Prowse's position what's his best play, best place see under Pellegrino he was more of an attacking right forward at some point sometimes um, I mean under Kuhn he was sort of shifted all around the midfield but now under Hasenhutl he's found that role and I just don't feel that other teams can give him that role to, for him to really sort of flourish because I mean he's when he when he plays for England he's playing in a really a position that just doesn't bring out the best of him and we say yeah but there are loads of players ahead of him yeah that's true but they're all players that are suited to different types of positions and I think that Ward Prowse his current game at Southampton is where he flourishes and like Armstrong if you were to take him out of the side and pop him into a completely different system he may just go back to being the anonymous player that he used to be yeah uh, I think uh, Ward Prowse is I think Ward Prowse is a top three player at what he does as a press as a high energy pressing central midfielder that covers ground however we're blanketing central midfielders as a whole and when you have the creative talents that you have in the Premier League you can't put them in there but I'd agree with both of you that he's definitely vastly improving and I don't think we're even at his peak yet with that leadership that captaincy to uh, as a string to his bow as well so yeah, I, I think I think we've uh, we've definitely got a diamond there in Ward Prowse and uh, and Hasnuddles really getting the best out of him. Right, the big one then. In, in a word to start with, then Matt is Danny Ings a top five Premier League centre forward? Really wants to say it. Yes. <laughs> and Tom. <sighs> yeah, I'd even put him as world class. He, in my opinion, only Harry Kane, Sergio Aguero, and Aubameyang. Even though not on this. This season, I think it's just been played way out of position by Arteta. Other than those three, I think Danny Ings is is the best centre forward in in the Premier League. And that's you know people probably look at that and go, oh, you know, it's Southampton bias. But actually, I think he's one of the few players um, around the Premier League that has got a lot of respect from other fans. And I see that often on Twitter. And when you get to see him week in, week out, he's so much more than just goals. And we've, that's why it's really important that we get him signed onto that to that contract. Absolutely. I mean, we could wax lyrical for, for hours and hours about Danny Ings. We really, really could. And we just hope that he comes back as soon as possible. Hopefully, I'm hearing it might be for the Brighton game. But um, we don't want to rush him back, especially with his injury history. But yeah, I again, I'd, I'd, I'd rank him in current form as world class. He's just, I mean, the goal, his goal against Aston Villa sort of epitomises that. It's just the the sheer audacity to just, you know, just bend it with the inside of his foot, in off the underside of the bar, and then to just stand arms lofted as if to say, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I know that I'm playing incredibly well and 
that confidence flowing through him. I mean, as I said, we have ourselves a gem, and that what that's what puts Southampton apart. Not from just the style of play, but from it really does help. It puts you apart from the other teams in sort of fighting in mid-table, maybe pushing up for a European spot. When you have a striker as good as him in the form that he is in, I don't think I can add anything to it. I, you know, if I'm picking a team, he's in there, and I like. I mean, you know, maybe if it, unless it's FIFA, because I'm an absolute pace merchant on that, <laughs> that game. But this is uh, this is real life, and, and you look at the work that Danny Ings puts in, and the the quality that he has when it comes to scoring goals, and the number of ways he will force goals to, to, to happen. And I didn't think, wasn't it his cross for, for Adams uh, earlier this season that was just so beautifully placed? And it was just like, well, you know, like that he's now doing it all. And so, no, you can't really argue with that. So, no, I, I, I debate anybody who said they, that he they didn't want him in there. So, sorry. Would, would anyone, would either of you argue he'd be higher than than fourth, which is where, you know, I, I said the three strikers, I'd, I'd place them behind. Would you, or, or would you put anyone else ahead of him and put them down in fifth? That's, I think fourth is probably fair. I think, I mean, but he, also, all of the players other than Obama that you mentioned all do struggle with injuries as well, so you uh, you can't even count the sure. injury history kind of uh, against him. You know, you could, I think players like Salah and Mane, we even decided they were going to play out wide, so, you know, you go through some of the, the higher-ranked teams. You know, I wouldn't take Bamford ahead of him. I wouldn't take Firmino ahead of him, even though I like the way Firmino plays. And just kind of going down, you look at some, you talk about industrial midfielders that we have. A lot of teams are playing with some industrial forwards. Uh, and we are blessed with somebody who's got the, the the industry to work that way, but also the quality on the ball that some of those other guys don't have. So I think fourth is probably fair. Same for you, Tom. Yeah, same for, same, same for me. I think the likes of Kane, Aguero, um, even like Aubameyang, quality players in the Premier League. Danny Ings, yeah, he's had that fantastic season. He is absolutely brilliant, but the likes of Kane, the likes of Aguero are a, on a different level themselves i mean especially harry kane at the moment where he's simply uh, the whole thing of like oh one season wonder when he did it yeah well he's been doing it now for about four or five years so uh yeah danny ing's superb footballer great great form definitely top five definitely top four just to get the, the everton fans off your back dominic cover dominic cover has been really nice to watch but he's not been danny ing's so uh, we just have to yeah. mention him because i think he's been he's been really good so he does deserve some credit but i would not uh i would not select him over at all he's too static it's an interesting race to to be in that euro squad as the understudy almost to, to harry kane we haven't mentioned that i've just thought and actually he might he's kind of got to go ahead of danny ings for what he's done over the last five six years but jamie vardy hasn't even been mentioned either and he's uh i mean he yeah i think i think you have to put jamie vardy in in, in the top four but danny ings definitely gets top five for me there, there are a lot of uh, there are other other forwards who probably deserve at least mention. I mean, Jimenez has been great yeah. uh, for Wolves. You mentioned Vardy. Who else? Was I, gonna, I was going to say I had somebody all lined up. What, well, what I guess you know, where does Tammy Abraham fit? He's kind of lost his place. Tammy Werner. Like, like so. There are a lot, but I'm still taking Danny Ings, and I'm not just being stubborn. I think that based on what he's delivered, and and the, <laughs> because I don't, I, I think that. Unless you're just going to say, hey, we're going to sit 4-4-2 and just that's all we're going to do, then he doesn't fit that. But if uh, most coaches, and I think we're going to talk about managers in a moment, are going to play some sort of attacking, pressing football in which Danny, Danny Ings fits that system better than, than even, even maybe Kane uh, or Aguero to, to a certain extent. So I'm still taking him over, even though if I have the choice of, of all of those other players. I mean, Jamie Vardy is a really good, is a good 
example of someone who's coming to the Premier League and just absolutely smash it out of the park. And even at the age of 33, 34, he's still an absolute menace and he's still got that yard of pace. I think for that reason, yeah, you'd have to rank him above Ings purely because he's been doing it for a long time now. And he's still, he just keeps on going and his body just keeps on taking him even, even at the pace that he is. But yeah, I still stand by Danny Ings, top five, top five for me. And despite Danny Ings is goal glut and, and being so fantastic last season Jamie Vardy was the man who still got the golden boot we, we, we forget that he's he was the top scorer in a side that obviously was doing better in the Premier League but yeah top five Danny Ings um, let's finish off then how Ralph Harsen at all amongst some of those big names at the moment on current form I think I've got to put him in a top five. I think he definitely will be. You got, you've got, you've got Klopp, you've got Guardiola, you've got Mourinho. They have to be in the top five. Then you've got Ancelotti, who, who for what he's done in his career, has to be in the top five. That leaves one space. And you've got Nuno Espirito Santo, who, who were obviously against tonight, who's done a fantastic job. You've got Brendan Rodgers, who's up there. So actually, when I list them out, I love what Ralph's doing, but it's a work in progress still. And he's not had, if he carries on doing what he's doing for the rest of this season, then he goes in there for me. But I think it's hard for, for, for Espirito Santo to have done what he's done for the last couple of years at Wolves, albeit with money. And Rogers to have done what he's been doing with Leicester. I think it's hard to rank Ralph in the top five based on the form that Sampson have got at the moment turn that form into consistent points and a way of playing added to that then all of a sudden we're talking top five um and i think if he stays with saints for a few years i think he'll get there so here's my kind of breakdown of it as you mentioned uh the kind of caveat there albeit with with money right saints squad is currently valued at less than half of the average premier league squad value if you kind of take they're, they're ranked 15th in the table in terms of value so if you take that and you contrast that with their position in the table, Ralph is top of the table. Rogers is second with Leicester City. Maybe this, the list falls apart a little bit because Crystal Palace are on their third, but um, you know <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Um, and I'll, I, this, I should say this was uh, this is as of just before this is last game week, but before last game week was played. But looking at that, and if I just look at the job that Ralph has done with the players that he has, he hasn't had the investment, he hasn't had the backing and where he's taken the club from and where we are now, we're starting to turn a corner. We're definitely not a finished product. And there's dead, like you said, said Calum is definitely a work in progress, but you want your managers and your coaches to coach and you want them to develop players and you want them to make things better. And our club needed to be made better and turned around. And some of these other guys are, are, are blessed with having you know money to spend um, squads that are you know six times as, as, as expensive as ours and that's nice but those players still need to be developed and, and you're going to lose games but I would I, this is not a popular opinion but I, I love Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp a lot like I, I, I enjoy uh, watching them and things like that but I look at Ralph and I, I kind of have him there uh, with with those guys right now and so I don't know does he have to be top five I don't know, but I, I think he's one of the best managers around, and we'll, I guess we'll see how how heavily he's linked to other places, you know, constantly in the media. If we keep doing what we're doing, especially I think especially if we beat Man United, there there things will fly open because you know Ole's at the wheel and he's not really doing. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure where they're going. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the right direction, so we'll see. And Tom, just we're, we're, we're pushed for time just before the game. Just briefly, what, 
what are you saying about Ralph? Ralph, for me, I, I agree with Matt. It's a case of he, I don't think he's quite in the, is he in the top five at the moment? No. Will he, could he be, if he continues doing what he's doing at Saints, then yes. Obviously, he had last season, didn't start well, but it showed his managerial quality to turn that around, considering the embarrassment. But I think he, he plays a really good system, really good style. And as you can see, like, managers and commentators and uh, the media just sort of waxing lyrical about the way that Saints are playing although maybe a little bit under the radar with Nuno getting manager of the month he's doing an incredible job and if it depends on how Saints can finish the season they started so well how long can they maintain that but it is going to be a situation I reckon in a couple of years time maybe even at the end of this year where we're going to start feeling the pull of other big clubs other clubs going to look there big clubs are going to look our way and think about poaching him and obviously as Matt said you've got Manchester United Ollie is certainly not at the wheel at the moment and it's just, it's not going very well for him but then again would are a big club patient enough to give him the time to implement his style throughout the throughout the whole of the club he, Ralph He's not a quick fix person. I don't think it's something that, as we saw with Saints, it is going to take time for for you to really see the fruits of your labours. And Ralph is not someone who's, he's not, I don't want to compare him to the two, but he's not a sort of Sam Allardyce person where you're going to get an immediate change, an immediate sort of maybe save you from relegation. Although that's not, those aren't going to be the clubs that can be looking at Ralph or even be able to poach him. But I, yeah, we are pushed for time. So top five, no end of the season, ask me again. Okay. And that's, um, that, that draws us to, to a, close just before we watch the Saints game uh, at Molyneux just under just over 20 minutes until that kicks off um, Matt thank you ever so much for joining us again uh, you were our you were our first as it were and you're uh, you're our first to come back so uh, yeah congratulations again on the 200 episodes um, and hopefully me and Tom uh, will be able to uh, get anywhere near that in the not too distant future. Uh, thanks for coming on, taking part in, in this discussion and, uh, and and having a bit of topical debate at the end. Uh, long may Saints' form continue. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys, both uh, the first time and this time. And uh, you two are always welcome back on the show. And, uh, you know, I can, all I can say is, uh, you know, I had 32 episodes at one point and you just got to, you just got to keep making them. And, uh, enjoy it and uh, I could say that you know, the form's been a bit better under you guys so uh, <laughs> you keep doing the show keep writing and um, I will try not to jinx us again uh, where we go through four years of, of, uh, kind of somewhat misery so uh, anyway uh, thanks a lot I appreciate it and uh, you know hopefully hopefully we get a win uh, this evening and, and keep going thank you very much Matt for coming on if you want to find uh, Matt on Twitter you can find him at SFC Dell underscore Ivory that is of course the Southampton Delivery Podcast if you want to find the Under the Lights Podcast on Twitter it is at under underscore Saints any questions any comments about the show please send it there if you want to find myself on Twitter Tom Murray you can find me at T214 Murray you can find me at Callum Wilson 21 well, you will find on, on Twitter at the moment. Um, not not sure if uh, if Matt's seen this, but we uh, we're coming to you with with uh, our, our next episode or a couple of episodes. We'll be doing uh, an all time Southampton Premier League eleven as voted for by you guys on Twitter. Um, I think we're on our third poll, Tom. Uh, currently looking at the the first of the centre backs. Um, essentially, we put up four options per position, and you guys vote. Uh, we've got a twenty four hour vote on each team. One a day uh, on 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 each position. Sorry, one per day, and after the eleven are up, 
Uh, we'll do a manager as well. Once those 12 are up, we will bring you the um, the results on, on, a, on a future podcast. So, uh, yeah, get on there, get voting, and uh, let us know if you're, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast and what you'd like us to talk about in the future. Anyone... Anyone else you'd like us to have on? Maybe Matt again. Absolutely. And uh, thank you very much for listening.